We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from John 15 and 16. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let me pray for us. Father, we we don't just need human words, this wisdom this morning. We certainly don't need my words or my wisdom this morning, but we, we need your words. We need your wisdom. We need to hear from you. And some of us in this room this morning, we have an acute sense of that need, we come here desperate for some word of hope or comfort or encouragement to meet us in our despair or in our doubt or in our sorrow. And others of us don't really feel that. But God, would you help all of us this morning 
to have ears to hear what it is that you want to say to us. Thank you that every word that comes from you to us is for our good. And so help us to believe that this morning. Speak to us in such a way that our lives would be changed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Brent, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time here this morning, we're so glad that you're here. We've, uh, leading up to Easter, which is just two weeks away, we've been in this series called Following Jesus. And following Jesus is just just another way of talking about what the Christian life looks like and feels like. And one of the things that we've been seeing in this series, kind of the main thing actually, is that the Christian life is often hard. (laughs) And hard is actually an understatement because Jesus says it this way. He says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Now we think a lot, we talk a lot about Jesus taking up his cross, especially as we get close to Good Friday and Easter, but we don't We don't tend to think about Jesus saying to us that we must take up our cross. And you might be thinking, what does it mean to carry my cross? Well, it means that the Christian life, it means that following Jesus often feels like death. That's where the cross took you. It was a march straight to the grave. And what we've been seeing in this series is that while following Jesus often feels like death, it always leads to life. Always. It always leads to resurrection. It always leads to Easter. Last week, we looked at forgiveness. Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you are holding something against someone, Jesus calls you to forgive. And you know what forgiveness is? It is really hard. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. It can feel like death, but it always leads to life. The week before that, we talked about humility. Humility is hard, but it always leads to life. The week before that, we talked about suffering. Following Jesus in your suffering feels like death, but in God's economy, suffering always leads to life. To life. Now, this is true in almost every aspect of the Christian life, but it is especially true in what we're looking at in this passage today. Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, says Jesus, they will persecute you also. And what Jesus is getting at in this passage is that following him entails rejection. It entails rejection. And this passage actually gives us, this is what we're looking at this morning, it gives us four promises that we need to know and believe in order to face rejection in this world. Here's the first one. Four promises for you this morning. Aren't you glad you came to church? Four promises. Here's the first. If you are a Christian, you will face rejection. Promise number one. Aren't you glad you came to church? Look at verse 18 again. Some of you are like, I'm glad I'm sitting in the back today because I can slide out right now, but I'm watching. My eyes are on the door. Uh, Just kidding, just kidding. That's kind of scary and threatening and manipulating. That's not how we operate here. Uh, 
All right, look at verse 18 again. Jesus says, if the world hates you, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now we hear that word if, and it sounds like it means that the world hating you is merely a possibility. If. Something that, 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 that might or might not happen. But look at verse 20 again. Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus uses that word if again. Okay, class, here's a test. Was Jesus's persecution a possibility or an actuality? Was it something that might have happened or was it something that actually happened? A better way to understand what Jesus is saying in verse 20 is to read it this way. Since they persecuted me, not if they persecuted me, since they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And here is the point. Following Jesus means that rejection is not a possibility, it is an inevitability. It is not something that might happen in your life, it is something that will happen. It is a promise. You know, the Bible is filled with some amazing promises. Uh, I, I tried to look up how many promises are in the Bible this week, and I couldn't find kind of an exact, you know, Googling that is not the, really the way to do it. But at a, at, a, at a minimum, it is like several thousand, okay? And at a, at a maximum, it's like in the tens of thousands. There's some amazing promises in the Bible. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 4. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, and he'll give it to you. That's an amazing promise. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says that I'm confident of this, that God who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amazing promise. 1 John chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. You hear this morning with a guilty conscience? You know what 1 John chapter 2's promise to you is? Turn to Jesus and you can be free. That is an incredible promise. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither the present nor the future. Nor any powers. Neither height nor depth. Nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What an amazing promise. There are so many promises to savor in the Bible. I've been a pastor for almost a long time, and, and, and I've never heard anyone say, of all the promises in the Bible, you know what my favorite one is? That promise where Jesus says, you will be hated if you follow me. You will, you will, now, you see, of, I mean, listen to this. John, let me give you this. The Bible does this over and over and over again, by the way. It promises you this. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. First John chapter 3, verse 13. Do not be surprised that the world hates you. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted. It was true for the disciples. 
It was true for the early church. It has been true for the last 2,000 years of church history. And if you follow Jesus, it will be true for you. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I know that Christians are like suffering persecution in other parts of the world, but I don't really see how this applies to my life. Well, the word that Jesus uses for persecution means to harass. And the word that he uses for hate means to disdain or to show contempt for. Jesus is not saying that every Christian is going to be thrown to the lions, but he is saying that if you are a Christian, you will be insulted, you will be mocked, you will be criticized, you will be ridiculed, you will face rejection. It is a promise. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't like that promise. (laughs) I like those other promises you were talking about first. Let me tell you two reasons why we need this promise. Here's the first. This promise lets you know that you can trust the Bible. I hear people say all the time, how do we know we can actually trust the Bible? How do we know that people didn't just kind of stitch some, some words together and then say, Jesus said these things? Let me ask you a question. If you were trying to start a world religion, you were fabricating this new religion, and you're trying to get a bunch of people to jump on board with it, would you include words like this and attribute them to its leader? We need this promise. It lets us know we can trust the Bible. Here's the second reason we need it. We need it because Jesus is preparing us. He wants to prepare you with this promise. Several Months ago, I was sitting down with someone in our church who is a new Christian. They've just come to faith in Christ pretty recently. And they said, you know, ever since I became a Christian, life has just gotten harder. I thought it would get easier, but it's just gotten harder. And you see, Jesus knows that rejection is inevitable. And he knows that our tendency is to be caught off guard when it comes. He knows that rejection is going to make you want to quit Christianity. To say, this is not working for me. Or this, maybe this isn't real. Maybe it's not true. After all, he doesn't want you to be caught off guard. And this is why he says in verse 1 of chapter 16, if you look at the text, he says, I've told you all of this so that you will not fall away. Some of you in this room this morning, you are thinking about walking away from Christianity because it's gotten hard. You thought it would get easier and it's gotten harder and you want to quit. And Jesus is saying, don't. Don't be surprised by rejection. Expect it. It's a promise. Okay, here's the second promise. The second promise is this, not just that you'll be rejected, but you will be different. You'll be different. Now look at verse 19. Jesus says, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. See, why will you be hated and rejected if you're a follower of Jesus? It's because you have been called out of the world. You're not like the world. Your your life looks different from the world. See, the second promise 
is the reason for the first promise. And this is, this is so important, we kind of need to stop here for just a moment, because not all rejection that comes into your life is the result of godly persecution. Sometimes rejection comes into our lives because we live in a fallen world. That the technical term for this is life. Life. There will be a rejection in life. You know, sometimes rejection comes because we are acting in obnoxious and self-righteous ways as followers of Jesus. We think that we are standing up for Jesus and we're really just being jerks. <laughs> we think that we are offending people with the gospel, but really we're just being offensive. See, if you are being rejected or insulted or criticized, then your job is to make sure that it is happening for the right reason. And you say, well, what's the right reason? Jesus says, because your life is different. It's different. And you say, well, what does that mean? Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those, says Jesus, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Now, what you need to know is that this is the very last of eight Beatitudes that Jesus gives us at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. That's his first sermon, and, and the Beatitudes is kind of like the introduction. And this is the very last of eight Beatitudes. You've probably heard of some of the other ones. You're probably familiar with some of the other ones. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. I mean, we, we love those. Blessed are the persecuted. Not so much. And you see, this Beatitude, it's the last of eight, which means that it's kind of the transition into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You know what the Sermon on the Mount is about? It's about how your life will look different when you follow Jesus. It's about how your life becomes one of radical forgiveness and of deep humility and integrity and generosity and sexual purity and fidelity and prayer and fasting and storing up treasures on earth and not in heaven and seeking God's kingdom rather than your own kingdom. Now, if you do all those things, you know what it will get you? It will not get you popularity in this world. The, the more you follow and obey Jesus, the more likely you are to be rejected by the world than you are to be celebrated by the world. I say, well, why is that? I mean, why would the world oppose us because we're, we're different? Well, Warren Wearsby who is a, a pastor and theologian and author, he says this. He says, true persecution comes and is the result of the Christians daring to live the way of Jesus. The world's philosophy is exactly the opposite of that which Jesus expresses. 
And these opposite viewpoints lead to opposing ways of life. The narrow road we walk is not parallel to the broad road. It runs right down the middle. We Christians are walking in one direction and the world is walking in another and it is impossible not to collide. Jesus tells us to be poor in spirit and the world tells us to build up our egos and to be important. Jesus calls us to humility. Humility is not a virtue that is admired in today's society. In fact, it's looked upon as a form of weakness. Jesus calls us to mourn over our sin. And while people who are not followers of Jesus may quickly regret the uncomfortable effects of sin, even that passes away. Jesus talks about meekness. Meekness in the world is considered weakness because after all, it is the aggressive person who gets ahead in the world, winner take all. The world has no appetite for righteousness, says Wearsby. Its motto is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. How about mercy? Mercy is a concept that is rarely found. To show mercy when your enemy is under your sword's point is to lose the victory. But Jesus was the exact opposite. He was different. And a world that thrives on conformity cannot tolerate differences. There are two ways to avoid persecution if you're a Christian. And one way is to separate yourself from the world. It's to so buffer your life that it becomes like this tiny little castle with a very big moat around it. And you do not build friendships and relationships with your neighbor with your coworkers, or with anyone who doesn't believe what you believe, and you live out of fear. See, but Jesus doesn't want you to do that. We don't influence the world by separating from it. We influence it by entering into it, even when it hates you. See, the world will hate you, but you know what Jesus calls you to do? He calls you to love the world even when it hates you, because he loves the world. You can avoid persecution by separating from the world. You can avoid persecution, here's the other way, by becoming just like the world. Your life, your priorities, your values, how you spend your money and how you spend your time looks no different from the people around you. Let's just, let me just apply this for just a moment. Let's apply it to where you work. If you're a Christian, there'll be moments where people around you are cutting corners to get ahead. And if you don't do it, they're going to be mad at you. You know what Jesus says? Blessed are you. Let's apply it to how you live. I hear people say all the time, it is, it is so hard to be a Christian in the Bay Area. I can't, I can't handle this. You know, I can't think of a better place to follow Jesus than this place. A place that runs against the grain of the way of Jesus in almost every way. You know what, you know what that affords you? More opportunity to hear your king say to you, blessed are you. How about parenting? I hear parents say all the time, this is not a good place to raise children. Now I'm biased, 
because I've been raising my kids here. But I can't think of a better place to raise children. Parents, do you know the opportunity that is afforded to you every single day to teach your children that real blessing comes not from following the world, but from following Jesus? How about, how about youth? I mean, we got a lot of kids in this church. You're going to have friends who are going to make fun of you and they're going to laugh at you and they're going to talk about you to your face and behind your back because you're not doing the same things as them. And you know what Jesus says to you? Blessed are you. Blessed are you. See, if you're not experiencing rejection, you have to ask yourself if your life is any different from the world. Has Jesus made any difference Because what he promises us in this passage is that if we follow him, one, your life will be different, and two, you will be rejected. It's quiet in here. Feels very serious. It's a serious sermon. We need some good news. So how about promise three? Promise three is that You will be rejected, but you will never be alone. That's Jesus' promise to you in this passage. You'll be rejected, but you'll never be alone. Look at verse 2 of chapter 16. Jesus tells the disciples that persecution is coming. He says, you're going to be persecuted. And when it comes, they're going to to kick you out of the synagogue. In other words, their own religious people. When they start, when the disciples make these claims about who Jesus is and what he's done that even even their own religious people are going to kick them out of the synagogue. Now, the idea that that you would be kicked out of the synagogue kind of doesn't resonate with us, but but it's it's capturing something about the emotional experience of persecution, the the relational experience of persecution. Uh, One commentator says it this way. He says, the banning of an individual from the synagogue would have a devastating effect on a person's social life and economic well-being. Friends would shun them, considering them worse than a pagan. They would be exiled from their family and ostracized. They would lose their job or else if they were self-employed, they would lose their customers. See, if you were Jewish, the synagogue was the center of your social life. It encompassed all of your relationships. And Jesus is saying, if you follow him, you are going to lose all of that, and, and here's, here's the point, is that when persecution comes, when rejection comes, you are going to feel alone. You're going to feel alone. That was true for them, and it's true for us. It was their emotional experience, and it's ours as well. And you see, it may happen in your own family. There are people in this room who, when you became a Christian, you didn't grow up in church, you didn't grow up in a Christian family, but when you, the moment you became a Christian, your family did not understand you. And there's some of us in this room that have been disowned by our families because of our faith. And you see, Jesus is very honest about this. 
You know, Jesus is not like a used car salesman. You ever, you ever like, apologies if we've got any used car salesmen in this room. I'm sure you're the, you're the exception to this, but <laughs> this is not in my notes. This is very dangerous right now, off script. But you know, it's like there's a lot of fine print. And you don't really kind of find out about it until after the purchase, after the fact. Jesus doesn't operate like that. This is really important because some of you are here this morning, you're considering becoming a Christian, considering following Jesus. And Jesus is like, let me just put all the cards on the table. You may experience rejection from your own family. He says this in Luke chapter 21. Listen to this. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. They will hate you because of me. So you can feel alone in your family. You can feel alone in the classroom. I spent 11 years on Berkeley's campus, and I know how professors, we've got a lot of college students here this morning, I know how professors and peers talk about Christianity in the classroom. We've got a lot of high schoolers and middle schoolers here. You've probably experienced this as well. You can feel really alone as a Christian in the classroom and in the academy. And and you can feel alone, not just in the classroom, but you can feel alone in your friendships and in your social circles. Your closest friends don't understand you. They don't understand why you believe what you believe. They don't understand why you make the decisions that you make. See, you you can feel so alone. You know what the promise of this passage is? You are never alone. At the end of this passage, Jesus starts talking to the disciples about how he's going to return to heaven. He says in in, in, uh, verse 5 of chapter 16, Now I am going to him who sent me. He's talking about the ascension, how after the resurrection he is going to ascend back into heaven with the Father. Now think about this. The disciples, they have been with Jesus for three years. They have spent almost every waking moment of those three years with him. And now, on top of telling them that they're going to be hated and rejected, he's telling them that he's no longer going to be with them. So how do you think they're feeling in this moment? This is not a good moment for the disciples. That's why Jesus says in verse 6 of chapter 16, he says, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. They are grieving. And so it is kind of strange. Jesus says, you're going to be hated. You're going to be rejected. And I'm going to leave you. But then look at what he says in the very next verse, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Now that's a strange thing for him to say. How could it be for their good, that, that Jesus is no longer going to be with them. You know, if my wife came to me and said, I'm, I'm leaving for Hawaii tomorrow, and you're going to stay at home with the children. You can't come. I'm leaving, but it's for your good. I would say, actually, that doesn't help me at all. 
You should stay here or I should go with you. See, how could it be for their good for Jesus to go away? Well, look at the very last verse. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. What the New Testament calls in other places, the Spirit of Christ. He's saying, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming. You've been with me most of the time. What what is the only thing better than having Jesus with you most of the time? It is having him in you all of the time. You see, and now we see why Jesus, it's kind of a random place that Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit in the midst of talking about rejection. You know why Jesus does that? Because rejection means that you will feel alone. But Jesus is saying, you are never alone. Even when you feel alone in your family, in the classroom, in your friendships, in your relationships, in your workplace, you are never alone. He is always with you, and that is his promise to you. And here's the fourth and final promise. You'll be hated. You'll be different. You will not be alone. Promise four, you have the ultimate acceptance. You will be rejected, but you have the ultimate acceptance. Uh, There's a story of a Christian. He was a pastor in the second century. His name was Polycarp. We We don't have names like that anymore. His name was Polycarp. And as the story goes, there was an angry mob that wanted to kill Christians. And they were killing Christians. And they demanded Polycarp's life. And uh, Polycarp's friends and his church came to him and they said, you need to leave the city. You You need to escape. You need to hide. And he refused. You know what he did when they, the mob came to his house? He offered them food and prayer. Then they took him to the arena. The arena was the place where the Romans killed Christians as a form of entertainment. And they said, we are going to throw you to the lions unless you deny Jesus and confess Caesar as Lord. And he refused. And this is what he said. He said, 86 years have I served God and he has never done me injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and savior? You know what they did? They, they took him, they bound him to a stake. They put wood all around him and they lit it on fire. And as he was burning to death, this is what historians tell us that Polycarp said. He said, I bless thee, O God, because thou hast deemed me worthy of this day and hour to take my part in the number of the martyrs in the cup of thy Christ for resurrection to eternal life of soul and body. Now let's be honest. That is probably not going to happen to any of us. We're not going to face that kind of persecution. There, There are Christians in the world today who are. But living in Oakland, California, we we probably will not. But you will face some sort of persecution, some sort of opposition, some sort of rejection. Jesus promises it. And you see, the same thing that got Polycarp through it is the same thing that's going to get you through it. The only way that you are going to be able 
to endure the world's rejection is if you know you have God's acceptance. The the, the only way to get through the world hating you is to know that God loves you. And the question is, where are you going to get that? Where are you going to get that? See, most people subscribe to the general notion that God is love and that God loves people. But I want to tell you something this morning. That generic understanding of God and his love, it will never transform you. It'll it'll never cause you to bear up under the fire of rejection. We need something much more tangible and concrete than that. And you know where we find it? We find it right here at this table. This table points us to the cross. You know what happened on the cross? Jesus experienced the ultimate rejection. He was rejected not just by his enemies. He was rejected by his friends. And he wasn't just rejected by his friends, but he was rejected by his father. He was on the cross. He was all alone. Not even God was with him. You see, this is why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you rejected me? Now, when Jesus asked that question, it's not because he didn't know the answer. In fact, the very reason that he came into this world was because he knew the answer to that question, that on the cross, he would take all of our sin upon himself so that all of God's judgment would come down on him. All of God's rejection would come down on him. And you know what the Christian gospel says? He did it so that you and I could be accepted, so that when God looks at you, he now sees you as, 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 as perfect and as righteous as he sees Jesus, and you have his smile and his welcome and his embrace. That's the Christian gospel. Jesus took the ultimate rejection so that we could have God's ultimate acceptance. That in, 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 in his rejection, Jesus was really, truly all alone. So that in our rejection, we are never alone. Even when we feel alone. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning, and we're ending right here. Is that if you really believe that, if you really believe that, how would it change your life? If you really believed that the God of the universe loved and accepted you. Friends, let me tell you, there is no persecution, there is no rejection. I don't care what kind or to what degree it comes into your life, none of it can have any power over your life. You know how to change your life? You will be free. You will be full. And you will be blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, says Jesus, for great is your reward in heaven. On the night in which he was betrayed, The same night that Jesus spoke these words in John 15 and 16, 
about rejection, Jesus took the bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, what acceptance we find at this table, what welcome you offer to us, not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that your son has done for us. God, would you give our hearts and our minds the capacity this morning to know and to feel that welcome and that acceptance as we come to this table and as we eat and drink together. Help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.